In February of 2015, Razan Abu Salha, her sister, Yusur Abu Salha, and Yusur's husband, Dia Barakat, were murdered in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. The day after the tragedy, Dr. Suzanne Barakat, the older sister of Dia, spoke at a press conference. Six weeks ago, I cried tears of joy at my baby brother's wedding. Today, we are crying tears of unimaginable pain over the execution-style murders of my brother Dia, his bride Yusuf, and her younger sister and best friend Razan. They were gems of their communities and left a lasting impression on the people around them. They inspired us. They served as role models to the youth. We ask that you celebrate the memories of our family members. From North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, this is Stories with a Heartbeat. I'm Will McInerney. Each episode, we explore the human condition in conflict through poetry and stories. This is a journey. The vast mosaic of local, national, and global conflict is our road, and the desire to connect, the driving force. It's what happens when you hold a radio mic in one hand and a poet's pen in the other. This is Stories with a Heartbeat. Last episode, we visited a dental clinic for Syrian refugees in Rehanli, Turkey, named in honor of Dia, Yusor, and Razan. The Berkats, a Syrian-American family, have close ties to the region and are known for helping those in need. Dia, both American and Syrian, North Carolinian and Muslim, had an instinct for charity, a bleeding heart, and open arms. The summer after the Chapel Hill shootings, Dia's brother Faris and his father went to the Turkish-Syrian border to volunteer. Well, actually, Dia planned the trip. Faris and his father fulfilled the promise. I couldn't think too much about my brother. That would have just, like been so overwhelming um because you would imagine him physically there with you you know and you're so present um so i couldn't do much of that but um, everybody knew why we were there in a sense it was it became meaningful to us let's put it that way because of the story um of, of the fact that Liat wanted to do it and Liat planned it. But uh, it's hard to say, like, at some level, my brother would have done it better. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, he, like, when we were moving out his stuff from the apartment, I saw a piece of paper on it, like, all these different ideas as to what he wanted to do, like, listed. Um, it was long and extensive, and he really had a passion and drive for it. But I guess in his place, we just all went and did the best that we can and did what we could do. The clinic, with Syria visible in the distance, is protected by cinder block walls and a thick rusted metal gate. There are hundreds of kids here. All of them have needs. But one kid really stood out. Uh, Sidra. 
Okay, this girl's yeah. been on my mind for a really long time. Um, probably like seven years old or something. But, you know, Ali came to me and he was like, you know, this might be the next kid you need to talk to. She's she's really rigid. She's not too responsive. And I, I, I don't know. I was like, I'm going to break into that mentality. I'm going to make her smile. I'm going to make her enjoy this, this trip or, or help her along the way. Um, and I thought to use the fact that, like, um, I also have a brother who was killed. Her brother and her father were killed. She's left with, like, seven sisters and one brother, a 13-year-old brother. Um, so I tried to use that. I tried. I started showing her photos from my phone of my brother and things like that and just kind of, like, personalizing it, letting her know, like, I really am there just to talk to her. I'm not there to do anything else. Um... And she would talk to me a little bit, again, opened up about what had happened. And again, the whole time, I was just trying to get her to like crack a smile. Ferris is not a dentist like his brother Dia was. While other volunteers scrubbed gums and filled cavities, Ferris's job was simple make kids smile. He wanted to see Cedra's teeth. A little later in the trip, they crossed paths again. Um, and at one point, my dad brought in IBS, which is kind of like a dessert, and around lunchtime, so everybody can have a piece, all the volunteers. And I was about halfway through mine, and I asked Cedra if she wanted one, or I'd give her mine. And it's like Arab culture to say no like 10 times before you ever say yes. <laughs> For non-Arabs like me, this can be a little confusing. It's subtle. It's almost Southern in the way that folks are so polite. They're not really saying what they mean. Ferris recalls a childhood memory where his Syrian heritage and his American upbringing came head to head at snack time. I remember visiting my, my neighbors and like I really loved his macaroni and cheese. And he'd ask me, do you want some? I'm like, no, no, it's okay. And then he's like, oh, okay. And that was so devastating. I'm like, no, I really wanted that mac and cheese. Um, so the next time I visited, I learned to say, yeah, sure. Uh, just respectfully. Back at the dental clinic, Cedra's response caught Ferris off guard. So I was expecting her to say no like 10 times. And then maybe she'd, um, she'd accept it. Uh, but she said yes. Um, and I gave it to her, she ate it, and it wasn't until three days later that I reflected, I was like, dude, Faris, you're so stupid, like, I think she was actually, like, hungry as well, like, she's there to get, um, help and whatever else, but I just, you know, how skinny she was, they were talking about she was just, like, new to the orphanage, no one really knew her, um, so she just maybe escaped all that. Cedra is an orphan, one of dozens bust in on this day to get their teeth checked. As she was leaving the clinic, Ferris ran down to her bus, waved, and said goodbye. <laughs> and that's when she, she smiled as well, and I was like, dude, she has a beautiful smile. It was the first real smile. Sometimes she's like, crack a little, and then go back to her, like, rigid <laughs> face. <laughs> but like, when she saw, like, someone cared about her, and she smiled, I was like, dude. Before he was killed, Dia dreamed of helping kids like Cedra. 
Back home in North Carolina, he collected donations, toothbrushes, and bags full of those little sample tubes of toothpaste, the kind they give you on your way out of the dentist's office. He called his plan Project Refugee Smiles. His older brother Ferris and his father made that dream come true. As we wrapped up the interview, I asked Ferris how he was holding up. I think we're doing okay. I mean, there's so much uh, that comes with what happened. Whether it's to be like a better support to your parents and that responsibility to just take care of more people, to take care of myself and just you know, give it a break when I need it kind of a thing. Um, and there's also like really, really like intense feelings of sadness sometimes. But overall, like to be able to be tested in a fashion like this and to come out not, you know, giving up and not um, not being defeated by it is something that I have to take pride in and I think most importantly maybe the our faith has set us up to, to be able to understand life and death um, and to be able to deal with what God's plan is for, for us or for anybody else. his trip to the dental clinic in Turkey, Ferris stopped by the famous shrine of the 13th century scholar and Sufi poet Rumi. Ferris told me he went there to take a break, to pray, and to reflect on forgiveness. A smile in a bleeding heart, a healing wound and a fresh scar. Conflict is a window into the human condition, and when light shines through, potential blooms. There is pain in Ferris's voice, a lot of pain. But in the midst of so much suffering, he's found the strength to mourn and to grow, to connect and to inspire. His heart is an olive branch. His heart is a lesson bound in courage. Will we extend an arm? Will we listen? Next time on Stories with a Heartbeat, we return to the scene of the crime. We have breaking news in connection with the shooting deaths of three people at a Chapel Hill apartment complex. Chilling 911 calls describe a horrifying scene. I heard about eight shots go off in an apartment. I don't know the number. The preliminary investigation says the incident began as a dispute over parking. Police are saying that they believe at this point that this might have just been a dispute over parking. This neighbor apparently would become inflamed when someone would take his parking spot. But other people believe that, that it's, it's hard not to see it as a hate crime when it's three Muslim students who apparently were shot in the head. On February 10th, 2015, for the first time in the history of the internet, 
the phrase parking dispute was a top search term on Google and a trending topic worldwide. Chapel Hill shootings, Muslim Lives Matter, and Our Three Winners all trended globally. The world was watching, and every word mattered. Next episode, we examine the language of conflict, the crime, and the motive. The police said it could have been a parking dispute. The family and Muslims around the world said it was about hate. We'll sit down with the man at the center of it all, Chapel Hill Police Chief Chris Blue. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's part of what's been so difficult around this discussion. I don't think anybody disagrees that this is a hateful crime. And it's really hard to look at it and not then say, well, how can it not be a hate crime? Before we close this week, a reminder for me, for us. All too often we talk about conflict and death like we're statisticians. We dehumanize, intentionally and unintentionally, consciously and subconsciously. But these were, these are, people. People like me. People like us. I want to go back and close with Dia's sister, Suzanne, speaking at the first press conference, the day after the murders took place. Leah, at 23, a second-year dental student at UNC, was well-known for his all-embracing kindness, lightheartedness, dedication to community service, love for basketball, and anything Steph Curry. Yusuf, 21, who was on track to join him at UNC Dental in the fall, matched his gentle demeanor, had a calming presence, and she and Leah found in one another a kindred spirit. Razen, at only 19, was tremendously gifted, studying architecture, incredibly creative, giving, generous, and a loyal friend. They were gems of their communities and left a lasting impression on the people around them. They inspired us. They served as role models to the youth. We ask that you celebrate the memories of our This is Stories with a Heartbeat. I'm Will McInerney. This podcast is a production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. This episode was produced by David Brower and me. Our original music was composed by Stephen Levitton also known as the Apple Juice Kid. To hear more, check out applejuicekid.com. In Chapel Hill, North Carolina, I'm Will McInerney.